All right. Whoo. I'm excited to be here for a lot of reasons, right? I know you're happy to just worship God, right? I love worshiping God. You made it here this morning. Amen. All right. I got to admit, can I, be, can I confess something to you guys? Just, 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 just get it off to start. Just start out with confession right now. So at 8.30 this morning, um, Hannah had a, a soccer match, the state championship, actually, uh, for her soccer club. It was at 8.30 this morning in Cumming, Georgia. But I, we had a 9 o'clock service, and I happened to be the preacher. You know what I'm saying? So I had to, I had to, I had to be here, right? But... Uh, I mean, I was grateful to be here, but part of me wanted to be, you know, at the soccer game, right? I mean, you can, you can understand that. But uh, so I was kind of nervous to go see my phone after the first service because I knew the news would be on the first thing. So. <laughs> there you go. Amen. Fired up. All right. There you go. Hi. I just got to get that out because, it, you know. Ah, man, it's not about my kids. They're not better than anybody else's kids. You know what I'm saying? I just, I'm sharing my life with you guys, right? Um, so on to the message for today. Amen. We are jumping back into our uh, Exodus series, and we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 18 today. And uh, most of the time, if you're familiar with the Bible and Exodus 18 is mentioned, a lot of times what follows is the Jethro Principle. And it is something that Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, it was kind of a great way to handle disputes within the growing number of people in the church. So Jethro gave some great principles to Moses, and Moses put them into practice. And so often that's the focal point of this particular chapter, the Jethro principle. But as you can see from the title slide there, um, the message is called the Jethro Principles. Because the more I really studied the passage this week and just spent a lot of time on it, I feel like the, the, the chapter's not just about what Jethro gave to Moses to help God's people. This chapter is also just as powerful in the fact of what happened to Jethro. Okay? There's something very significant that happens to Jethro that within this chapter. And so we're going to look at a little bit of, a, start out by looking at what happens to Jethro, and then later we'll look at what Jethro gave to the church. And uh, hopefully as we look at this, we can make some application uh, where we can to our present day situation and lives. So let us go to God in prayer and let's uh, jump into the word of God. Father, I am just grateful to, uh, to be able to pray to you, grateful to be able to open up the scriptures to search your word so that we can understand our place in this world and we can understand what you have done in this world, what you are doing and what you promised to do. And uh, Father, I do pray that we will be informed but also inspired, encouraged, challenged, whatever is needed so that we can be the type of people that share openly our love for you, that we are the type of people that are able to share within our own communities just what, how much you've done for us in our lives, uh, the good things that have happened to us, and even the challenges, Father, help us to learn how to share those with others as well. And, and Father, we do pray that, that here at North River that 
we can be a, you know, a large community of believers, but that are kind of broken down into smaller groups as well, so that we can not just have people worn out just relying on a few to provide leadership. So, Father, use this, this message as we look in your scriptures. We revere you. We love you. We fear you. We appreciate you. We give you our hearts and minds and soul and strength. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, let's jump in. Exodus 18, Jethro. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so if, I know it might be hard to see, but Midian is about right here. This is the Midian, okay? And so this is where Jethro lives, okay? And the, the scripture says he is a priest. Now, just to be real right up front, some scholars believe that he was a priest of Yahweh. One of, uh, he was a follower of Yahweh. Others don't believe that. They believe he was a, a priest of the faith of the Midianites, a pagan religion, uh, probably tribal, territorial, that was kind of really centered in Midian. So people are divided on that. I got my opinion. Since I'm preaching, you'll hear mine. Amen. So, and, uh, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what my opinion is because the word of God is going, is going to, it, it doesn't affect it, right, at the end of the day. But I think it's a powerful story when we see uh, who, Midian, who he really was as a priest in Midian. And so what is, but what is he hearing? He's hearing about Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and what he has done. Because look how close Midian is to Egypt, okay? Egypt's right there. Surely he has heard about what happened. Whoa, this God of the Israelites is not messing around. Word through traders or whatever has made its way to Midian about who this God is. And then the last chapter in chapter 17, Amalek, these people raided the, the, the Israelites, tried to take them over, right? But Moses prayed, lifted his hands up, and they defeated him. So the word is spreading about this God of the Israelites, okay? And so Jethro is hearing these accounts of this God as he serves as a priest in Midian. And quite honestly, I believe this is one of the first kind of principles I want to talk about because God is doing kind of his part I believe, to change people's hearts. And, and, and that's, that's a big deal that for us to understand is that God has been doing things, God is doing things, and God will do things, but he's trying to get at people's hearts, okay? That's what God's going to do. God is going to be God. He's merciful. He's loving. He's righteous. He calls people to, to incredible new life, right? He's going to do his part, all right? And so, and you can tell Jethro's hearing, he's hearing these things uh, about Moses as God. Now, here's the challenge. When we get to Exodus 18, man, a lot has happened, okay? A lot has happened. And uh, we even find out in Exodus 18 too that at some point, we don't even know when. The Bible doesn't even tell us when. At some point, Moses sent his wife and two kids back to Jethro. We don't, know, we don't even know why. We have no idea why. We don't even know when, when it happened. But at some point, Moses sent back to Jethro, Jethro's daughter and his two grandkids, right? And so here we find out the names of Moses' kids. One son was named Gershom. For Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And when I was studying this, I was thinking, wow, 
what was Moses feeling when he named his kid, you know? Um, what was he feeling? Well, the guy was totally dispossessed. I mean, this guy was living in Pharaoh's household. He had some deep feeling for his own people, the Hebrews, right? And he made a rash decision, right? Murdered somebody on the run, okay? And finds himself in Midian where he, he'd probably never been there before in his life. And all of a sudden he has a new wife. He's in Midian. He's, he's separated from his people, his ethnic people, the, the Hebrews, but he's also separated from the only land he's really ever known. He's a foreigner. He's, he's in the middle of nowhere. He's in no man's land. And it's almost like at that stage of his life, that's really what he, he chose to name his child. Man, man, this is, this is my lot in life right now. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. But then sometime later, he has another child. But this child's name, Eliezer. But what does that name mean? My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. What is he talking about there? This is another moment in his life, but he was too young to remember it when his mother and father, because of their faith, did not listen to Pharaoh and they put little baby Moses into that Nile River and just prayed, oh my God, I hope he makes it, right? But here's Moses kind of saying, a faith, this is more faithful <laughs> right here. This is like, you know what, I might be a foreigner in a foreign land, but my God is still taking care of me. I can still see God at work in my life. Right? Sometimes we need to mature in our, in our faith. Sometimes we go through a patch of life that's not very comfortable. You feel like a foreigner in a foreign land, right? And then, but at some point, I think you can reflect and you can look back and sit. And even though your circumstances haven't changed, you can still have a different perspective. Like, wow, yeah, I'm a foreigner, but man, God has been my helper. I mean, and I'm grateful for him. He saved my life. Yeah, I might be a foreigner, but it's better than being dead eaten by a crocodile at birth, right? All right, you know what I'm saying? I'm not happy being a foreigner, but I, I appreciate what God has done for me. And, th and it's reflective in the way I believe he names his children. But I, then, then I thought, what, what did that mean to Jethro when his second little grandson comes into the world? Hey, Moses, where are you going to name him? I'm naming him. My God is my helper. I think that had impact on, Mo on Jethro. I think on some level, that was something working on Jethro's heart. Like, wow, Moses has a faith in his God who's a saver of, 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 of his life. And I think that was at work in Jethro and working on his heart. And so at some point, Jethro goes, hey, Moses, your sons are eating up all my food, bro. It's time for me to take them back to you. I'm coming back, bro. So I'll see you in a little bit, right? Whatever. Okay, Jethro. Uh, but definitely wants to go meet up with Moses. But they haven't seen each other in a long time. And again, I'm thinking about Jethro, and I'm thinking about what was happening in Jethro's heart. He's hearing all these accounts about God. He, he, he knows in his own family that God is very important. Moses named his son after this God, you know. And so then I started thinking about, yeah, Jethro and Moses. And I thought, you know, when Jethro, do you remember how Jethro even first met Moses? You, do you remember the circumstances? You know, I mentioned it a little bit, but the, but the circumstances go a little deeper. After Moses is on the run from murdering the, the, uh, the Egyptian, he finds himself at a well, and he's just sitting there at this well. And Jethro's daughters are at the well trying to get water and take care of the sheep. But some shepherds that were there were acting crazy, 
and actually messing with Jethro's kids and were keeping them from being able to do what they wanted to do. And so Moses is sitting at the well on the run, discombobulated, and he notices what's going on. And, Je- and Moses is like, I don't like this situation. And so Moses gets up and he takes it to these shepherds. You know what I mean? He gets them out of the way. And then Moses waters all the sheep for Jethro's daughters, takes care of everything. And then sends them back on their way, back home to Jethro, right? And Moses just stays at the well. And so Jethro's daughters come back home. And Jethro's like, hey, man, whoa, what's up? Did y'all just not do your job? You're back way too early for the job y'all had to do, getting the water and watering all the sheep. Y'all, what what happened? And then the daughters are like, yo, man, this guy was, this Egyptian guy was there. And the shepherds were messing with us. The dude just came up and bam, took care of them. And then he watered all the sheep. And then he gave us our water and sent us on our way, man. This guy's amazing. And then Jethro's like, well, where is the dude? You didn't invite him over for a little sweet tea, hang out, a little kick it a little bit, watch the game or what? What are y'all thinking, you know? And so he sends, the, he sends the daughters back. So they go back and get Moses. Bring him to Jethro. And so that's the, that's the first interaction between Jethro and Moses. What do you think Jethro is grateful? Hey, man, thanks for helping out with my kids, bro. Thank you. You know, and in that culture, in that custom, hospitality, very important. Here's a guy on the run, whatever. And so, you know, Jethro kind of takes him in, and we don't know all the details, but what we do know is that Jethro kind of gives his daughter, Zipporah, in marriage to Moses. Okay, and so Moses starts working in the family shepherding business, okay, and starts tending, uh, tending sheep for Jethro. But I think, Je- I think Jethro believed that Moses was a loyal guy. He's a fierce guy, <laughs> cares about justice, right, and, a, and is a servant. I think, that's, I think that's Jethro's view of Moses, you know. And they spent about 40 years together. So Moses, was, this wasn't just a couple of months they were together. This is... I think Jethro knew the character of this guy, Moses. But how much did he really know? I just wish I knew for sure. I mean, did, did, did Jethro know? Did he know that Moses was a murderer? I don't know. Did he know that story? He probably did. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, and Moses told Jethro that he murdered a Hebrew, an Egyptian. We don't totally know 100%. Did Moses tell Jethro, man, I grew up in Pharaoh's household. Did Jethro know that or not? I guess he did, but... I don't know for sure. We just know that he was on the run, right, when, uh, when Jethro met Moses. But he turned out to be a loyal guy and stayed with his wife and kids, had kids. The naming of his children based on his journey with God, I, I think that had a, an effect on Jethro. And then out of nowhere, Moses has this burning bush experience <laughs> and comes back to Jethro and says, man, I got to go. I got to go back to Egypt. I got to take your daughter. I got to take your grandkids. I'm leaving. Now, that could have been a bad moment for Jethro right there. But Jethro said, you know, I I respect you. You you have my blessing. You know, and so that's the last time Jethro and and Moses have seen each other. uh, Moses put his wife and kids on the donkey, and they left, and they went to to Egypt. And so this is kind of the interaction, and I'm thinking, man, Jethro, what's his experience with God as he serves as a priest, you know, in, in Midian? And I believe, I don't believe he was a priest of Yahweh. That's my conviction. That's my belief. Maybe one day I'll think different. But I think he was a tribal leader in Midian, and he had a different faith. 
So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. But here's the scene. Imagine the scene. How many Israelites are we talking about, roughly? A couple million, right? And who's the main guy? Moses. So Moses is the man. He's the main dude. Jethro's an outsider. He comes into Moses' territory where Moses is the top guy. In a normal situation, do you know what will usually happen if an outsider comes in? Somebody's going to greet that outsider and say, what, you know, what's your business here? And even if he says, hey, I'm Moses' father-in-law. Okay, well, wait a minute. Let me, let's go to Moses. Probably go to his tent. And you would think that Jethro would be the one that would, hey, man, this is your, this is your spot, bro. You're the number one guy. You would think Jethro would be the one bowing down to Moses. Moses goes out to meet Jethro. What's going on here? I think that's humility right there. You know, that's, that's humility. It shows, shows Jethro respect, right? And then, and then takes him in the tent. And, and what does the Bible say? say? It says, and then Moses, they aren't talking about, you know, politics. They're not talking about the World Cup. They're not getting all into that. They're talking about what? What the Lord had done. What the Lord had done. That's what Moses wants to talk about. And he, and he talks about, and think about, think about what Moses could say. And this is what I love, because here's the deal. When, you, when Moses had to verbalize the story of his people, it, it, it makes Israel look terrible and himself too. There's really nothing good in Moses or the people. At every turn, they were really hard to deal with. Okay? And so that's the beauty, I think, of how God works. It doesn't matter how messed up we are. God can still move. He can still do great things. And I think that's the power of what, that's why, that's why Moses focused on what the Lord had done. Because if he, foc, if he focused on what he had done, it would not be an inspiring story, really, you know, on one level. Yeah, I went to this bush, and yeah, he was talking to me, and he told me he wanted me to do something. I didn't really want to do it. And, he had, and I made excuses. That's what I did. I made a lot of excuses. I didn't make just one excuse. I actually made a lot of excuses. And, he, and then God actually got mad at me and then said, okay, well, I'm going to give you Aaron. And then the, the people, you know, they got upset with me and they wanted to stone me. And then I went to complain to God, told him he didn't know what he was doing. And I told him he made a mistake by putting me in charge. You know, and then we get to, this, we get to, the, you know, we get to the Red Sea and, and the people, they're all freaking out. And somehow God gets us through, amen. But then three days later, we're complaining and griping and mad. And I'm mad too because I was thirsty and hungry. And we're all mad and we're all upset. And everyone's wondering, well, why'd you take us out of Egypt in the first place? We could have stayed back there and at least had some water and some food. I mean, if I was Jethro, I'd be like, man, who the, you guys are terrible. Why in the world would this God want to have anything to do with you guys? Why is he spending all this energy to take care of you guys? It's a great question, Don. <laughs> I had, we, we, we rehearsed this at the nine o'clock, so. <laughs> no, we did. But I do think that is a great question. See, what's so great about you that God would work on your heart year after year? 
circumstance after circumstance, side door, back door, whatever, to get to your heart. That's the, that's the point. When we just talk about ourselves, we shouldn't have anything really to say. And that's why we should focus on who God is. His nature, his heart, how he operates in this world. You see, he's doing his part. But what's our part? And our part, I think I see it in here, is to be humble. We need to be humble with the people that we interact with. Wait a minute, they, they, don't, they don't believe in the same stuff I believe in, or they, they do this, they have this activity that I don't believe in. I don't care, you can still be humble. Bow down to them if you need to, in some respects, right? In the sense of show humility, right? Disarm them by your humility. Be respectful to people. We see this in 1 Peter 3, right? Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, right? And always be prepared to give an answer for someone to ask you for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. I see, this, I see that what, what Moses was doing, right? And keep the focus on God. I think that's our part. God's doing his part to, to, to move hearts. Let's, let's do our part. Right? And, and I don't think that's too hard for us to do when we really focus on who God. And what, what's the impact of all this? What, what kind of impact does this have? You know, Jethro was delighted to hear all about these things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, who said? Jethro. This is Jethro saying this. You know what Jethro says? Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. How did he know that? Because people have been talking about it. He's been hearing about it. Moses is sitting there telling him. And who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel so arrogantly. And so to me, when I study this passage out, to me, that's the language of conversion. That's the language of, wait a minute, now I know, before I did not know, <laughs> but now I know. That to me is the, that's the Old Testament version, in my opinion, of Jesus is Lord. You have to come to a conviction that, you know what, in the New Testament that Jesus is the Lord of all. I believe Jethro kind of had the Old Testament version of that right there. Now I believe that of all the gods, the one that I serve as a priest in Midian, the one the Malachites serve up there, all these other gods, those aren't real gods. No, but your God is the God. To me, that is a conversion. So this chapter isn't just about the Jethro principle, the great thing that Jethro gave to God's people. I believe God had been working on Jethro's heart for a long, long time. And this is a conviction that God had been wanting everybody to come to, that he is unique among all so-called gods. And if you remember, remember in, remember in chapter 5, remember the first time Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh? And they say, you need to let, you know, the God of Israel says, let his people go. You remember what Pharaoh said? Pharaoh said, hey, man, I don't even know who you're talking about. Verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to let Israel go. I don't even know who this Lord is. That's chapter 5. By the time we're in Exodus 18, 
Midian knows about? The Amalekites know about this God? And then God's just start getting started. But he, he's doing his part. But are his people going to do their part by sharing about what he's done and who he is? And the other thing is, you know what, guys? We're not responsible for the results, you know, but just for doing our part. No matter how long it takes, okay? Because, you know, a brother came up to me after the 9 o'clock, and he was just like, man, thanks for what you shared. I, I, he, he said, I lost heart and I lost faith. I've been reaching out to some people just sharing my life and sharing about my convictions and about God, and they kind of just tapered off, and I kind of just gave up. But he said, man, when you talked about how Moses and Jethro, they had known each other for 40 years, and Jethro still hadn't made that confession of faith. It took a, it took a while. You know, hey, we're not responsible for the results. People got to make their own decision about who God is and who God isn't. So, but we got to do our part. We know God's doing his part. <laughs> but we need to just be, just do your part. Share about how amazing God is, what he's done. And that to me inspires me about what happened to Jethro. Now let's see what Jethro gave to the people. Amen. So the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. Sounds like so much fun. I would love to just sit there while people come to me with their disputes from morning until evening. Wow, that just sounds so inspirational. When, when uh, Jethro saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Do you get the sense that Jethro doesn't like this? Well, Moses answered, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will, and whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Sounds like a great job description. <laughs> Moses' father-in-law replied, well, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Is there a theme here? Yes, there is. He's trying to do it alone. Not a good prescription for a strong community of believers. Okay? We can't expect one or just a small number to do all of the work that is required. And again, there's a couple million Israelites. Imagine that. One person sitting alone listening to the disputes of a people used to being slaves all of a sudden got all this freedom. What? This is before the Ten Commandments, people. All kind of craziness is going on, you know what I'm saying? Okay? I could find 819 disputes in this room right now. We could be here till at least 7 o'clock tomorrow night if I just sat here by myself and waited on you guys. It doesn't help anybody, right? So, so what is the Jethro principle here? Well, it's unproductive, unwise, and unhealthy. When people try to lead without help from others within the community of believers, it's unproductive. It doesn't, it's not even good. It's just going to take forever, Right? And it's, it's unwise. I mean, it's, it, you're just going to frustrate everybody. And, and then somebody might get bad health. I mean, seriously. I mean, Moses probably set himself up for some high blood pressure. I don't know. Heart attack. I, you know, it's just like, how can any person handle all that, right? Okay. 
And so, so this is, this is a, a, in a distilled version of the Jethro principle that everyone focuses on, is that there needs to be some distribution within the church. To, now, this is for handling disputes. This isn't a New Testament model for how the church should run, but I still think we can gain some good principles that we can apply to our own culture at North River, right? Let's close out here. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. You've been doing a good job. That's a good idea, Moses. Keep that up. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Dude, that's great. Keep doing that. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. Have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. And if you do this and God so commands, I appreciate Jethro's humility. I think he's saying, hey, this is my thought, but if, if God goes against it, go, go with God, you know. Um, if you do this and God commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. That's the Jethro principle that he really gave. Find some capable men who fear God, right? That's the beginning of wisdom. When you, when you acknowledge that God is God and you are not, that is like the beginning of wisdom and that he is holy and righteous and you are not. As, my goodness, you should have awe. Like, okay, that, and now, oh, now you're ready to understand what wisdom is really like instead of utilizing your own thinking and your own righteousness. Find guys like that, fear that fear God. You don't have to have a PhD in theology, people. You don't have to have a perfect track record. Some of you just waiting around, right? Don't wait around. I had a brother come up to me. Hey, man, you need to say, man, if your family group's too big, right, don't just wait around for one guy to pass out. and die. Hey, why, don't you, why don't you offer up to help lead half the group or take some of the people, you know, offer to help out. Take on some, some of the load so it can be lighter, so we can distribute this, this, this leadership around the church. I think it's very helpful. I think we need more of this at North River, to be honest with you, right? We've grown from a few hundred to 1,200 or whatever we are, and we're going to need to be smaller communities of believers, right, around the metro area. Okay, and I think it's going to take people that are willing to take on the leadership of 100 or whatever like that. And we're going we're gonna to keep fighting to try to help the church look like that so that we can really reflect these principles. And so you'll be hearing more about that. But I appreciate this principle from Jethro. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to say uh, we're going to close out with the communion prayer. And, and, and here's a thought that I wanted to give you, you know, for, before we take the Lord's Supper because... Oftentimes when you read the Old Testament, you just think, well, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It does. Okay? It does. And what, when, I was reading, when I was preparing the message, I kept thinking, there's a passage that I kind of kept coming back to, you know? And, and I want to leave it with you as your thought before you, you know, as you take the Lord's Supper and remember Jesus. Okay? I want you to think about this passage because it's from Mark's gospel, and it's, it's a passage about a man who was really, he was possessed with a demon. His life was in shambles, um, and, and Jesus came along, and Jesus freed him from his suffering. And the man, in his gratitude, the Bible says he begged Jesus, can I just go with you wherever you, I, I just want to go with you. 
But Jesus actually told this guy, you know what, don't come, don't come with me. What I want you to do is I want you, I want you to go home. Go back to your community. And I want you to share how much the Lord has done for you. And how, how he's had mercy on you. How much the Lord has done for you. And what does the man do? He does exactly that. And he leaves and he goes back to this, the capitalist and he shares about what, he shares about how much the Lord had done for him. And people were amazed, right? And, and, and to me, that's a lot about what, what I see in Exodus 18. You know, we, Jesus inspires us. When he, when he, nothing that we deserve, right? We're messed up people, but he frees us and, he, and we should great, gratefully be able to share how much he's done for us. No matter what, no matter if we don't have, you know, the greatest this or the greatest that or the church could do this differently, man, we can always do something differently. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> right? Anybody frustrated about something at the church? You know, yeah, I'm right there with you, right? But that doesn't have anything to do with me being able to share how much, how much the Lord has done for each and every one of you that doesn't deserve anything. So let's remember that, right? As we go out and leave here into our own communities, right? And let's share how amazing Jesus is. So let's pray. Father, please help us to keep you at the focus of all things. As uh, people that live on this side of what happened on the cross, help us even now to remember how much Jesus has done for us. And I pray that we can be filled with gratitude. And not just filled with gratitude, but also a willingness to do our part. So somebody who might be at home right now watching TV or at a coffee shop or shopping at a local grocery store somehow might hear about who Jesus is and what he can do in someone's life. And over time, Father, we know, we have faith that you can work on people's hearts. And when we do our part and you continue to do your part, that powerful things can happen and we can see lives transformed and we want to remember that about Jesus now, how he can transform our lives. And I pray that we can be filled with gratitude as we take the bread and drink of the juice that represents his body and blood. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.